Well, hi. Um, first of all, I just want to say um, I do what I do. Um, I work with the college kids because I, I love these kids, and I think it's kind of like working with junior hires. You're either called or you're not. And I, I just think it's cool to see <laughs> young people, though. It's important to do a service like this because you get to see that young people are committed and completely sold out to Jesus. So I just want to say thank you to my crew that's here and the Fidelis people and, and just if you don't know a college person, just start to get to know them. Grab them, 20-something. Grab them and say, hey, let me go get you coffee, okay? All right, so let's focus. Sorry, focus. Um, are, are the Joneses in the house? Where'd they at? Oh, they're in the baby room? All right, well, never mind. I was going to... Okay, um, our youth pastors just had a baby, and this is her first service here, so we just wanted to say hi to them. Yes, they're coming. I think Josh got them, but okay, wait for it. It's building. It's building tension and expectations. Just wait for it. Wait for it. Wait just a little bit longer. <laughs> they're probably like, what? No. Okay. Sorry. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Not so much. All right. Maybe next Sunday. So this will get you to come back next Sunday. Okay. All right. Um, today, I'm going to be speaking on Peter. And um, do we have that video? Or not the video, sorry. <laughs> Mommy needs more coffee. Um, do we have that picture? Okay, so this picture is of uh, St. Peter, and he served as the kind of the rock for the Catholic Church, right? So he, and this is painted by Paul Rubens, a Renaissance painter, and uh, this is kind of the idealized version that we have of Peter, right? But I think in real life, because Peter was a fisherman, this is probably, probably more, the next picture is probably closer to what he looked like. <laughs> okay, now granted, pretend that he's Jewish, not Chinese. And, but uh, we just, we get, these, we, we get these, these pictures in our head, these romanticized versions of these people in the Bible, right? And we think, oh man, Peter, whoa, he was amazing, right? He was larger than life. You know, he walked on water. Um, he was handpicked by Jesus. He was there for the transfiguration. He, he, all this amazing stuff, right? But we forget that Peter also was human, and he operated uh, according to his weaknesses and, and his flesh a lot of times, okay? So that's kind of... How many of you guys have watched um, the... What is it? What's the show the, uh, about fishermen? Deadliest Catch. Okay. Josh and I are watching some of those, and we watched, uh, like, they had the round table, you know, and they're all sitting around talking, and every other word was beep, beep, <laughs> and these guys were probably, like, on a 20-pack-a-day habit or something, and anyways, so fishermen are crusty people, and that's what Peter was, okay? <laughs> Peter, Peter was a crusty person, <laughs> okay? Um, but uh, I want to just read some of his resume, if you will, um, to you guys. And uh, as I'm reading this, if you can, we'll have it up on the board, but I like to encourage you to read your Bibles. Go ahead and turn to Matthew 26, 69 through 75. So Matthew 26, 69 through 75. And I'm not going to have you jumping all over the Bible today, um, just a couple of key verses. But as you're looking that up, um, let me go over some of Peter's impressive stuff. <laughs> just, just keep this picture in the back of your head. <laughs> Okay, so Peter was hand-selected. Uh, he was hand-selected. He's one of 12 men hand-selected by Jesus, right? Jesus went up to him and was like, hey, you, why don't you come? He wasn't like, hey, all you fishermen, if you're interested in walking with me, come follow me. No, he went up to Peter, and he's like, hey, you, Joe, Pollock, come follow me, right? Adam, come follow me. 
Shalani, come follow me. So Jesus did that. He was like, hey, you, come follow me, okay? Um, he, was, he appointed himself Jesus' personal bodyguard in the Garden of Gethsemane, remember? The guards come up, and they're about to arrest Jesus. And Peter uh, was like, hey, that's not going to work. And he slices the guy's ear off, right? And Jesus is like, Peter, you made a mess. Now i got to fix it. And he puts the guy's back ear on, and he heals it, okay? Um, he was also um, part of this elite ministry group um, that Jesus would use to go do various ministry things with. Um, and it was just, it was, it was Jesus and, and usually John, the beloved, and Peter, okay? And they would go and do these, like, uh, these uh, high-visibility high ministry opportunities. Um, one such opportunity, um, Peter takes, uh, or Jesus takes Peter and John, and they go and they resurrect a girl from the dead, a synagogue leader. So Peter had this, this inside track. He was part of the inside track, okay, with Jesus. And um, he was the only disciple to walk on water. Do you guys know that? Only disciple. They're out fishing, and Peter's like, hey, Jesus, let me try that. Let me try that. And Jesus is like, all right, Peter, come on out. And Peter does it. He steps out. He takes his eyes off Jesus, and he starts to sing, but he did it. He was the only disciple that did that, okay? So if we were going to, um, if we were going to type Peter, um, he was probably like, a, how many of you guys know type A people? Okay? They're like the sort of people that are never satisfied when something is excellent. It's got to be uber excellent. Um, I have somebody in my life who I love very dearly who's a type A person. And uh, this person is just driven and on it. Just you put this person on it, and they just get stuff done, right? Um, I, have a, I have a girlfriend from college who's like that. She, um, she was pregnant two times during uh, getting her doctorate. And she defended her doctorate when she was eight months pregnant, and she was going through Braxton Hicks defending her dissertation. But, and to celebrate her 40th birthday, she did a triathlon. So, okay, so Peter's that kind of person, just like hardcore, driven, 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 right? Okay, and then he's mouthy on top of it, right? So this is just kind of the picture, and I'm painting this picture not so that we're like, wow, we, we suck, we're nothing. <laughs> but I want to paint the picture for you, um, and not, on, not only that, but... Peter hung out with Jesus for for year for three years, right? They ate together, this group of guys. They ate together, slept together, walked together, traveled, dodged bullets metaphorically when they were doing ministry. So they did everything together. That was the kind of time. Um, they had this thing called hased, and it's this Hebrew word for a kind of, um, it's like um, a fidelity kind of. Um, this, this kinship that you have with somebody you're not related to. It's like, you know that person has your back, and you've been through thick and thin together, okay? And that's, that's kind of what Peter and Jesus and the other disciples, even Judas, which is trippy, had together. But I'm painting that picture for you guys so that we understand how great Peter's fall is when he denies Jesus, because that's what we're going to look at. We're, today we're going to look at Peter's fall and his denial of Jesus, and then also his very public restoration, okay? So if you have your Bibles, and uh, hopefully you're looking at Matthew 26, 69 through 75. Can we get it up on the board too? Pretty please. Let's go ahead and um, read it together. And just, just um, context, because I'm, um, this is one of the things I learned in seminary um, 
as Pastor said, and I took the 10-year track, so it took me a while to get through it, but um, is context. Context, context, context is important. Okay, so here's what's going on prior to this. Um, Jesus has been arrested at this point, and he's going to go to his mock trial, right? He's already been to one. I think he's going to another one. Things are not looking good. So the disciples are all freaking out. They're just completely beside themselves the bottom of their world has fallen out. And for the Jews, because Peter was Jewish and all the other disciples were Jewish, um, Jesus wasn't just like the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He was, um, uh, he was, he was like almost like a military answer to overturn the oppressive Roman rule, right? So not only was he the spirit, there was a spiritual thing. They were actually more interested in him coming and turning overturning the Roman rule and making it a Jewish state, okay? So that's, so when Jesus gets arrested and then eventually dies, they're like, what happened here? What happened? What did we miss, okay? So that's the context. So Peter um, is hanging out. You know, all the disciples have kind of gone and done their own thing. So let's go ahead and read that together. So Matthew 26, 69 through 75. Sorry. Let me get there real quick. Okay. Uh, okay. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant approached him and she said, you were with Jesus the Galilean too, but he denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, another woman saw him and told those who were, who were there, this man was with Jesus the Nazarene. And again, he denied it with an oath. Okay, now notice the first time he just denies it, Second time, what does he do? He denies it with an oath, okay? So he's kind of digging his hole deeper and deeper. Um, Okay, Um, so 73. After a little while, those standing there approached and said to Peter, you certainly are one of them since even your accent gives you away. Because he was a Galilean, and it would be like if a New Yorker came over here, you know? And we're like, something's different. You talk funny. Like there was a very marked difference, okay? Um, so 74. So what does Peter do? He doesn't come clean. He digs his hole deeper. He says, then he started to curse and to swear with an oath. I do not know the man. Immediately a, roost, a rooster crowed. Uh, and Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Uh, okay, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Okay, so Peter at this point is just pretty much shattered. That's the long version I wanted to read to you guys, but what we're going to settle on for our study, because it paints the picture of how uh, Peter doesn't just say, no, I didn't know Jesus, I don't know what you're talking about, but he gets into the, he, he, he digs his own hole, and his, his denials go deeper, and he builds more of a case. So it's denial, he takes an oath, and then he curses, and he swears to seal the deal, kind of, okay? So he's just completely distanced himself from this man that he has spent three years with, worked alongside, dedicated himself to, and Jesus poured himself into to Peter. Okay, so all that is just like severed. And Peter's probably just, well, it says, the text says he, weep, he wept bitterly. So he's just a destroyed man, basically, okay? All right, but what I want us to really look at is um, in John 18, um, and in John 18, we get the condensed version of this, um, but you'll see why. Why I want the sh- shorter is is better sometimes, (laughs) not for both. Okay, so um, can we get it up on the screen too? Pretty please. Okay, so same same setting, right? So Peter's freaked out, and he's kind of, and he's actually sitting, 
there's kind of like a, a fire or charcoal fire, and he's hanging out there, and he's with other servants, okay, that, and other slaves. That's the setting. Uh, then the slave girl who was the doorkeeper said to Peter, you aren't one of the man's disciples too, are you? I am not, he said. Now the slaves and the temple police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. They were standing there warming themselves, and Peter was standing with them warming himself. Okay, so what I want us to get, and maybe you're going to go, Mako, that's kind of lame, I don't understand, but I want us to zero in on the charcoal fire because it's going to connect later. Um, put your finger in uh, John 21, 2 through 17, chapter 21, 2 through 17, because we're going to get to there. That's Peter's public restoration. But what I want to focus on is the fire, the charcoal fire, okay? And maybe you're going to say, Mako, that's stretching it a bit. But John's style, he liked to uh, do juxtaposition kind of. So around this fire, Peter has cursed, taken an oath, and completely denied associating with Jesus, right? We'll see later in chapter 1 how the fire, the charcoal fire, figures in prominently. And these are important cues to, to pay attention to when you're looking at Scripture. Um, and maybe I'm just a big nerd, but I like that kind of stuff. Okay, so I think what at the, what's at the core of this is how could somebody who walked with Jesus, who is mentored by Jesus, who is, you know, prophesied over and loved and just, you know, poured into and seen amazing miracles. Peter saw Jesus raise people from the dead. He was right there. He saw Jesus transfigured. How do you go from doing that to being like, I don't know this guy. Not only do I know this guy, I, like, you know, I rue the day that I met him, and I have no, no idea what you're What would make somebody like Peter deny Jesus? Well, I think the cue comes from our text here. Where is he sitting? He's sitting around a charcoal fire, but who, whose company is he keeping? He's hanging out with slaves and servants, okay? Here's the deal. Peter, at this point, oh, and let me, sorry, let me backtrack and read something to you guys. Okay, so hold that thought. Put a pen in it mentally, okay? Pen, cheek. I want to read, um, this is my daughter's book, her Bible, and um, I borrowed it because I want to read to you, I think it succinctly states their emotional state of all the disciples, not just Peter. Um, Jesus' friends were sad. They would never see their best friend again. How could this happen? Wasn't Jesus the rescuer? The king God had promised. It wasn't supposed to end like this. Okay, so these apostles are thinking, this is it. This is the end of the road. Three years, and it led us to a dead end. Not only a dead end, but the earth has opened up and swallowed us whole. What We've got sold a bill of goods, feeling disillusioned. What happened? What happened? What went wrong? What did we miss? Okay? So that's kind of their mental state. Well, check this out, though. Peter, because he's hanging out with uh, these, these slaves, and he's in this, kind of the servant quarters, he is acting according to his flesh. He has become a slave to his sinful nature, which is he is fearful. Fear has taken root in his heart. And he's not thinking as a disciple of Christ. He's functioning. At, can we get that old fisherman picture up? <laughs> I'm sure this guy is probably a really nice guy in real life, honest worker, but just for sake of a... But I'm sure Peter has reverted back to his old self. He is not, he is not Peter the apostle. He has become Peter the fisherman. Okay, and he's freaking out, and he's going back to what's comfortable. He has allowed sin to creep into his heart, 
and wipe away and erase and negate all of those years, those three years, all that ministry time, all the miracles that he saw with Jesus. And he's operating according to his sin sinful nature, his old man. He's cowering in fear inside. Have you guys ever seen when, um, when you go into a room, if you've had cockroaches before, or water bugs, they call them water bugs. Um, <laughs> but you, turn the, you flip the light on and they just scatter. They just scatter. They go for cover, right? Wherever's dark. This is what's going on with Peter right now, emotionally and internally and spiritually. He's going to the dark places because he's like, this, Jesus, what happened? You let me down. I, I got sold a bill of goods, okay? He's not holding true to, what he, to who he knew Jesus was. And Jesus tells the disciples time and time and time again, all along the way, if, if I laid it out, we'd be here all day, but he keeps telling, he's prepping them, he's prepping them. You will fall, you will fall. They will strike the shepherd and the sheep will flee. You are going to get freaked out. Don't be worried, though, because I will resurrect and I will come back for you guys. They don't, li they don't listen to this, though. And Peter, being the type A person, is like, I got it. I'm good. I'm good. Jesus, I would die for you. I would die for you. I got it. I'm good. And he doesn't, he's operating in his flesh. And then when this happens, because he's been operating in his flesh and according to his, his own strength and his own power, his, the bottom of his world falls out, right? And so um, I think a lot of times, personally, in my life, I know I've done that. I've had a lot of health issues. <laughs> there was a, a period of time for a year and a half. <laughs> I, I gave myself, not on purpose, but I gave myself five concussions. And it was pretty miserable. My mom pretty much had to come live with us and help me take care of my daughter because I was so heavily medicated and out of it. I was, I was a drooling idiot for real. Like I was drooling and I, and I was like, God, why? And then I had, they were worried about a brain tumor and all this stuff. And I was like, oh God, what's going on? And I remember laying in my bed and Sophie had just come in and give me a kiss because that's all I was capable of at that time as a parent. And I was just laying there, I was so depressed. And I was just like, oh God, where are you right now? You said you'd be with me. And in that darkness, Jesus said, I am, I am. And that, I allowed that to fill my heart and fill me up. And I know it sounds cheesy and silly, but I know Jesus talked to me. When I was laying there, the lights out, covers over my head, and I was all depressed and heavily drugged. And Jesus was like, Mako, I am, I am with you. I am faithful. I know it doesn't seem like it now, but I am faithful and I am with you. And I clung to that. That was, that was, that was, my, that was my life raft. Okay, um, we have a, I have a video for you guys that kind of um, exemplifies, I think, what Peter was kind of going through internally. He just, he just felt like he had been dragged through the mud. He had dragged himself through the mud, and he was probably kicking himself because he was probably like, I know better. I know who Jesus is, but I blew it. I blew it. I can't go back. I can't go back. I've fallen so far down, there's no way up. And so I want to show you this video. Can we get the video going? That I, I think don't know really. You. Oh.
Thank you. Okay, so Peter is completely shattered on the inside, right? And he feels just dirty and nasty, okay? And he's like, I can't even, I'm going to go back to being a fisherman. That's what I know. That's what I do best, right? Let's fast forward. I hope you guys kept your fingers in John 21, because that's where we're going to pick up. Um, so John 21, uh, verses 2 through 17. Um, and just a little uh, background. Okay, at this point, Jesus has appeared to them. This is his third appearance. He's already resurrected. And Peter uh, and Mary and John have already gone to Jesus' grave when he resurrected, right? So now when Jesus and Peter see each other, Jesus isn't like, so Peter, what do you have to say for yourself? You blew it. Say you're sorry. You know, he doesn't, that, none of that happens, okay? The only record that we have of this, of this restoration kind of happens here. Um, so Jesus, so the, the disciples are going back to what they know. They're, they're fishing, okay? This is what's comfortable. This is what they know. And they're fishing. They're like, where's Jesus? What's going on? Our world is turned upside down. Yeah, he's resurrected and we saw him, but, we, you know, we're not doing what we used to do. What's, what, what's the game plan? We don't know. Where do we go from here? So they're fishing, and Jesus is on the shore, okay? And Jesus tells them, you know, cast your net on the other side, and they're like, we've been here all night. And we know there's no fish in the air, okay? There's no fish. And what do they do? They, they, they switch their net, and they catch 153 fish. Okay, now people have speculated what the 153 means. I just think it's 153 fish. Anyways, so it's a lot of fish. So Jesus is like, hey, guess what? I am your provider still. I am still providing for you. Okay, now what's interesting is if you have the NIV uh, in verse 5, in 21.5, it probably says men, but I don't like that. And it's not the literal. The literal in the Greek, the original, is children. Jesus calls them children. He doesn't say, hey, men, excuse me. He says, hey, children. Because at this point, the adoption, they are no longer disciples of Jesus. They are adopted into the family of God. And Jesus has sealed it with his spilt blood on the cross, okay? So that's why he calls them children, okay? So that's important. Okay, so Jesus is sitting on the shore, and he's got this charcoal fire going. Um, and it's back here, but we're not, it's in verse nine, but here, so I'll read it just so you guys can say, Omeka was putting stuff in the Bible. Okay. So 21, nine says, uh, when they got out and land, the disciples, they saw a charcoal fire there. Okay. With Jesus. So Jesus is hanging out with this charcoal fire. They bring the fish on shore and guess what? Peter's like, Jesus, is that you? He's from the boat. Okay. He's in the boat. They're still in the boat. And Jesus is like, yeah, it's me, Peter. And Jesus, or Peter, gets out, and he jumps into the water, and he swims to land. He swims to Jesus, okay? And this is the interaction that he and Jesus have. have. Okay, so starting with 15. Uh, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Uh, do you love me more than these? Uh, yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. And feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. Verse 17, he asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. Circle the word grieved in your Bibles. Peter was grieved that he had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Okay, I want you to circle grieved because at this point, Peter is very cognizant when Jesus asks him the third time, Peter, do you love me? It's kind of, 
making Peter remember, you denied me three times. You denied me three times. And so I'm asking you three times, do you really love me? And so Peter, and this is how God works, isn't it? He is gracious to us, and he gives us chances, right? But he also makes us account for what we did. We have to confess, and this is what he's having Peter do right here. He's saying, Peter, I need you to, to recognize you blew it big time and to, to kind of fess up to your sin. You blew it. You blew it. You, blew, you denied me. You weren't true. And so that's why Peter's grieved here. It's not because he's like, Jesus, really? You know I love you. No. And notice that his response to Jesus is a lot more muted when he responds here than in all the other scriptures. You know, prior scriptures, he would, he'd be like, Jesus, you know I love you, and I'd die for you. Don't even ask me. That's silly. You know, I cut a guy's ear off for you. What are you talking about? Of course I love you, Jesus. There is none of that. It's understated. So verbal, externally, he is, he is understated, but internally, his heart He's submitted to God, okay? And he's kind of a shattered guy, too. But when Jesus does this three times, notice a couple of things. He doesn't say, Peter, let's talk about this. What in your childhood made you do this? Let's, let's look at that. No. Uh, Peter, how did you feel when you did that? No. Peter, are you really sorry? And you promised to never, ever, pinky promised to never do this again. He doesn't get into that. He says, he says, he doesn't ask why. He says, do you love me? Three times, do you love me? Not what are you going to do for me, but do you love me? And I think as Christ followers, when we really love Jesus, it's not a matter of what we do or what we say, but it's, it's the posture of our heart. And I want us to notice that Peter is sitting around the fire with Jesus. He is in the presence of his Lord at this point, Okay. And he is at peace finally. He's not, he's not hanging out with the, the slaves, being a slave to his sin around a charcoal fire. He is in the presence of his Lord, having a conversation with his Lord. And so his external outward posture reflects his inward posture, his spiritual inward posture. He is kneeling before Jesus in his heart. Okay? And so, you know, there's not this verbose, like, ah, Jesus, I would do this. I'd cut off a guy's ear for you again. I would do all this. No, it's just quietly, yes, I love you. I love you. I love you. And then what does Jesus say? So he asks, gets him to confess, and he says, do you love me? And then what does he do? He's like, I need you to obey me. If you love me, obey me. So go feed my sheep. He says, he says it three times. Feed my lambs uh, in uh, 15 and 17 and in uh, 18. Go feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep. If you love me, you're going to obey me. So I just like how Jesus just he doesn't go through all the touchy-feely stuff. He just cuts, cuts down to it, doesn't he? He's like, if you love me, you're going to do what I ask you to do. And this is what I'm asking you to do. Okay. Um, so what's interesting, too, is that um, if you get your Bibles, this will be up on the screen, but I'd love if, if you turn there. Uh, Romans 8, 15 through 16. Um, what is different at this point, too, you know, when Peter kind of, when he gets from the boat and he jumps into the water to swim to, to shore to Jesus, it's kind of like a baptism of sorts. He, like, immerses himself. He's like, I'm, I got my eye on Jesus. I'm going to, it's 100, it was 100 yards, and he just makes a beeline for Jesus on the land. And it's like he's, like, he's, like, you know, kind of baptized. He's a new guy at this point. Okay, because he has been adopted. He's not functioning as Peter the Apostle. 
and he's not functioning as Peter the fisherman. He is functioning as a child of Jesus, okay? Um, so if you get Romans, um, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, Peter, Mako, anybody here? But you received a spirit of adoption through which we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And in fact, the spirit did bear witness in Peter because he goes on to be one of the greatest leaders in the, the early church. You know, he kind of gets the ball rolling at Pentecost. You know, he does all these amazing things. And when he does die, he's crucified. He doesn't back down. He confesses Jesus to the very end. He was crucified like Jesus was. Well, I think, well, they said upside down. So. But, you know, I think that um, if I could give you guys a take home from this, well, first of all, let me read something to you. Because I think a lot of times we think once we become Christians, it's going to be smooth sailing, right? And it's just going to be this smooth, upward, upward, you know, journey to Jesus, to perfection. You know, we're, no bumps in the road. We're not going to fall back into anything. And we're not going to deny Jesus, at least not outward. There's other ways that we can deny Jesus. Maybe you're going through a tough time and you were like, God, you know, forget you. I'm not going to read my Bible anymore. Or praying's overrated, God. You haven't been faithful to me. I'm not going to be faithful to you. I'm not going to pray. Or maybe you're like, forget church. I'm not going to go to church. I don't need church. God, God hasn't done anything for me. I'm, so God, I'm not going to go to church anymore. See you later. I'm going to choose you off, God. I don't, there, there are small ways that we can deny God in our hearts. You know, it doesn't have to be with, like, Peter in front of a bunch of people. It can be subtle, subtle, subtle things, okay? Or habits that we fall back into or thought patterns that we fall back into. And we deny Jesus that way because we deny the power in his life to transform us. And to say, you are a new creation. We go, no, -uh, I'm not doing that. I don't do it. Mm. But I think a lot of times we think, okay, I'm saved. That's it, right? Done. Okay, moved on. Well, Peter, he knew Jesus was the Messiah. He got that. He was the only one out of the disciples that confessed it prior to his denial. So he got it. But he still denied Jesus not once, twice, but three times and sealed it with an oath and a curse and everything else. <laughs> you know? He sealed the deal. And I want to read this quote to you. Um, you guys um, heard of Brennan Manning? He's this crusty Catholic priest. <laughs> That's great, but he keeps it real. Or Episcopal, something like that. Um, but he, he wrote a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel, and it's kind of his account of his coming to faith. And I want to read a quote to you. <clears throat> and the ironic thing is that he became an alcoholic after he came to faith in Christ. Okay? So he has this quote. And people ask him, you know, why'd you do this? Why'd you pick up the bottle? What, you know, why'd you do this after you came to Christ? Why not before? And then you got healed. And this is what he responds. He says, I got battered and bruised by loneliness and failure because I got discouraged, uncertain, guilt-ridden, and took my eye off Jesus. He writes, there is a myth flourishing in the church today that has caused incalculable harm. Once converted, fully converted. In other words, once I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, an irreversible, sinless future beckons. Discipleship will be an untarnished success story. Life will be an unbroken upward spiral toward holiness. But I think we look at Peter's experience, and obviously Brendan Manning's, and we go, oh, really? That, no. <laughs> you know, maybe if you have, I don't know, leave it to beaver or something, but not, not real. that's not real life. That's not real life. Real life, our redemption, yes, we, we step along the, we step across the line of faith, and we say, yes, Jesus, come and be a seal in my heart, like we're singing about today. But then it's a journey. Our redemptive process is a journey. We have to work out our faith with fear and trembling, don't we? And I think 
when we take our eyes off of that, we think we got it, we're good. You know, Peter was functioning in his own strengths, wasn't he? And he had great strengths. God gave him great strengths. He was loud. He was a type A personality. He got the job done, right? He kind of became the spokesman for the disciples, but he was still weak. He was still weak on his own. And so uh, I think the key in this whole thing, if, if you guys would take anything home from this, is that when we blow it, and we are going to blow it as Christ followers, and that's not to advocate that we practice cheap grace where it's like, hey, it's better to ask forgiveness than uh, for permission, right? You know, I'm not talking about a, a Britney, Britney Spears kind of grace where it's like, oops, we did it again, but we'll ask for forgiveness. No, because the grace that has been extended to us was expensive. It cost Jesus his life. But that grace is so healing and so redemptive. And have you guys, uh, well, for you guys that have kids, or you've gotten a wound and you pour peroxide in it, right? It smarts when you put it in there, right? And it's just like, ah! When I pour it on my daughter's finger, she's like, Mom, you're burning my finger off. I'm like, no, suck it up, you're fine. But I tell her, I'm like, it's the, the good germs killing the bad germs. They're fighting, they're duking it out, okay? And I think when we allow God's grace to come in and wash inside of us, we've got all these shattered pieces and we're like a dirty t-shirt that has all kinds of junk on it. God comes and he washes it and it hurts, it smarts because it shows all of the dings, all of the dirt, all of the brokenness. But when we let Jesus come in and wash through us, he does that and it's like a balm afterwards. He comes in and he restores us in a way that we have, we are not able to do on our own. You know, in the um, Adam and Eve story, Adam and Eve blow it, right? We, we have them to thank for cancer, wildfires, earthquakes, the whole nine yards, right? Um, so they ushered that in, right? And, and Jesus comes, or God comes, and he, and he comes, and he's like, so what are you guys doing? What are you doing today, right? And he gives them a chance to confess, right? And they start finger pointing, and they finally kind of confess. But what does God do? And at this point, they're, they're aware of their nakedness. And we in the Hebrew, that the concept is a lot fuller. It's not just like they can see each other's pieces and parts. It's they are, they are feeling vulnerable and naked to the whole world. They just want to crawl inside a hole. That's how they feel. They're like, oh. How many of you guys have had, <laughs> maybe this is, I shouldn't share this, but oh well. Um, I, I used to have recurring commercial, or commercials, dreams in grad school about going to class in just my towel and doing a presentation in just my towel. And then I'd wake up in a cold sweat, and be like, oh my gosh. Well, that's, Adam and Eve are like that. That's, they're feeling completely naked, and they're just like, oh, I'm out here for all the world to see. And what does God do in his grace? They're not able to do it on their own. He has, this is the first animal sacrifice that happens. He's, he has to kill some animals, and he makes skins out of them to clothe them. And that's what God's grace is like. God's grace clothes us and provides things for us that we can't do on our own because we are fallen. We are fallen, and we need God's grace. Not the cheap grace, but the redemptive grace that works in us and, and makes us whole and cleans us and puts together our shattered pieces in a way that we can't do by ourselves. Um, can I have the band come up, please? And the ushers to come forward and ush. <laughs> Um, so here's my challenge to you guys. Um, as you're sitting there and we're, we're going to do worship, I, I would challenge you guys to sit there and do business with God and say, God, 
do I have brokenness? And it doesn't have to be something big like, I don't know, I went pole dancing the other night, or I don't know, or I went binge drinking. It doesn't have to be big. It might be, but usually it's the little things that encroach in our hearts and cut off fellowship, suffocate fellowship between us and God. Whatever it is, I challenge you right now when we're doing worship that you sit before God and open up your spiritual, your spiritual trunk with all of its junk in it and say, God, sort through my junk. Toss out the stuff that I've been holding on to and clinging to, the emotional junk. Get rid of it. Cast it away from me. And then don't leave it there. I would challenge you you allow God's grace to invade it. Invade the darkest parts of your heart and your mind and just flood you and say, God, I'm sorry. I confess. I repent of this. And then allow God's grace to wash over you. His spiritual peroxide, come in and just wash out all the junk and say, okay, I'm ready to go feed your sheep or I'm ready to go whatever. Get me back into fellowship with you, God. Take that impediment that I have in my heart out. You put back the pieces that I've broken, God, because God is gracious and he loves us so deeply. So as we go into worship, that's my challenge to you guys. Do business with God where you're sitting at, okay? Okay.